Good morning again. If you would take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Colossians, where we will continue unpackaging the passage in verse 18 and considering what the Lord has here for us, an important topic as it relates to the relationship between a wife and her husband, what the Lord requires. We've been taking the, the time to lay the foundation for this. It's important that we do that. Also, one other thing I wanted to mention, I meant, meant to mention it earlier, but I, uh, it slipped my mind uh, momentarily, but as often as the case, it came back later at the wrong time. But nonetheless, it's there now. Uh, the Lord works in mysterious ways, and He is certainly uh, a, the, the Lord of salvation. Salvation is of the Lord, and I'm, I'm pleased to report that He has worked within our congregation in the heart of Griffin Deckard. Um, God has saved him, and, and Griffin has reported that to me through his parents, and I am grateful for that. And it's always good to see these things in young folks. Um, God can work in the heart of a young man, um, and so we are grateful, and we praise the Lord for that. So, Griffin, welcome to the family, and, and we're grateful for that, and God's people said. Amen. Amen. So we're, we're very happy for Griffin and look forward to seeing what the Lord will do in his life and how he will work in him, and so uh, we praise the Lord for that good report and that good news. All right, so we're in Colossians chapter 3, and we're continuing to work through this. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll get into the text today. Lord, we love you. Thank you for this time we have together. Uh, Lord, we're, we're mindful of what your word says uh, about the importance of doing things in the manner that you have ordained them. We read that this morning. Um, in Second Chronicles, that you have preserved that passage for us through all the ages, considering when that took place, that here we are today in 2023 in little old Beloit, Ohio, reading that passage, remembering what you did back then. And there's a reason for that, and there's a reason that you have kept that passage for us, and it's a good reminder of what you require in terms of worship and what is pleasing to you. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for its clarity. Thank you for its application. May our hearts be open to receive it today. Forgive us for our belligerence and our wanderings of the mind. Thank you for uh, helping us to be focused through the work of the Holy Spirit. May his presence be here today, uh, guarding and directing our hearts and minds as we worship you through the preaching of the word. Thank you for saving Griffin. Thank you for the great work and mighty work of new life, regeneration, the power of salvation and the, and the deliverance from the domain of darkness. We praise you, Lord, for this wonderful news and the good tidings that we have heard. We rejoice that we are known by you, and we praise you in the name of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Colossians chapter 3, a passage, a chapter, a book that's become very familiar to us. Uh, I hope and trust that your pages are becoming crinkled and your Bible naturally falls open to Colossians. Um, and that the pages are becoming full of notes, I hope. I like to write in my Bible. There's nothing wrong with writing in your Bible, and I would encourage you to do that, and if you fill it up, you can just buy a new one and fill that one up. Um, so nothing like a new Bible, too. They smell great, and um, I, I think that in the future, that's what the air will smell like is uh, new Bibles. Um, that's just my own eschatological input there in terms of the end-time air, if you want. 
Uh, I'm waiting for, uh, you know, uh, an air freshener that smells like Bibles. I, I, would, I would buy stock in that company. Uh, you know, good, good Bibles smell great. Um, if you hand me a Bible, what do I do? I open it up and I smell it, and uh, that's, that's a good thing. So verse 12, we begin a familiar passage, Colossians 3, 12. So, and so what? Well, because of what's all gone before, that's important to be reminded of. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. What a standard that is for us. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That idea of it being the arbiter of all that you do, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Well, uh, we have been taking the time to understand why it is that Paul would direct the wives in this manner that he has. The idea of submission is one which is unpopular in the modern age in which we live. It's disparaged, it's, it's mischaracterized, um, and it is, it is certainly mistreated. Even within the church, there's a tendency to look askance at these particular passages and to either ignore them or to attribute them to a more archaic age written by people who didn't know much about equality and equity and things of that nature and about rights. We tend to want to Americanize all of these things and filter them through our, our, our concepts of what is fair and good and just and right, and in many ways reject them. Well, we are people of God, and as a consequence, that comes first, and so we are to govern our lives in accordance with these types of imperatives. What we have here is Paul defining for us, really, what a new creational lifestyle looks like. How is it that a Christian wife now interacts with her husband? How is it that a Christian husband now interacts with his wife? And what is the foundation, importantly, for all of this? So we took the time, importantly, to go back and lay the foundation, to go back to the beginning where we have the picture of the first marriage that God ordained and brought together, the picture of Adam and Eve. We've examined the passages in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and 3, and we've come away with a sense of what God has ordered in the terms of his creation mandate. There is a primacy, there is a, 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 a position that Adam held in the context of being the leader of his wife. And she, in response, submitting to that leadership. We find, interestingly enough, that in the fall, that that, that, that picture, that idea, that order is, is skewed. And Satan comes along and, 
and Eve is tempted, and Eve abrogates Adam's role and, 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 and inserts herself into this dialogue with the serpent, and as a consequence, we have a lot of problems. Adam abandons his role as well. He doesn't do what he's supposed to do to guard the garden, to protect his wife, to lead her. He allows her to do that. And gentlemen, that's an age-old problem. That's still the tendency, I fear. We have a sense in which you know, we have this idea, this phrase that, you know, well, you know my wife, she wears the pants in the family. Well, if she's wearing the pants in the family, guys, that's wrong. Not that she can't wear pants, but you get the idea. We're not going down that path. <laughs> wow. Might as well throw in sideburns and beards while we're at it. And, uh, you know, can't go to swimming pools or movies either. But you know, we'll talk about that later sometime. <laughs> But nonetheless, we have a sense in which God has created an order, right? And so we want to make certain that we are working within the context of that order. There's a reason for the order. The creation mandate, the thing that God did at the very beginning, was to create the order. So what is natural is what God has decreed, what God has created, what God has ordered. Not what the world says, not what you may feel, not how you may be tempted, both as men and women in the context of a relationship, to do something that's different. No, the picture is one of headship through the man in the marriage to which the wife submits lovingly in response to what the Lord has done. So what I wanted to do today is, in conclusion with regard to this passage, and I've just heard a collective sigh from the ladies that uh, finally <laughs> he's done. Well, maybe not. We'll see how much time I have. Um, you know how that works with me. Um, you know, one of the most common phrases I've heard in the courtroom is that, Counselor, your time is up. Um, we have little lights in the, on our podiums when we're arguing a case, and uh, the, the red and the yellow and green, and, and so you get the green, and then you get the yellow, and a cautionary light, your time's almost up, then red, and then it flashes at you, and then the judges yell at you uh, that it's time to sit down. But thankfully, they haven't installed that yet on my pulpit. Sure, we'll have a committee that gets to decide who, who, who controls the button that controls the lights on the pulpit. Nonetheless, so we want to consider then, what does this look like practically? I, I, you know, oftentimes people will say to me, well, Pastor, what, how does this work in my life as a Christian? And so I want to give that to you. I want to make certain that we take all of these things that we're learning, these, these, these indicatives, these, these foundational truths, and apply them in the context of our lives. And I do this with, with humility and humbleness. I don't offer anything to you in the context of, of doing either these things perfectly or, or uh, criticizing you because you're not doing them, but I offer them to you in terms of what God's Word, I believe, says about what the wife's obligations in a marriage would look like in terms of what God has ordered and ordained. What we do know from our passage, what we do know from Genesis chapter 1 through 3. And again, we want to make certain that as we examine God's Word, that God's Word changes us and impacts us. It's going to form our mind. Many have lamented that the Christian mind is not controlled by the Bible. And recent data and polling indicates that that's the very truth, that we make things up and we believe what we make up rather than believing the objective truth of God's Word. And so, objectively, we want to make certain that our mind frame is controlled by what God's Word says. So what do we know about what God's Word says so far about the wife and her husband in the context of that relationship? Well, we do know that the wife is called to submit 
to her husband and to be his helper. We have phrases in the Bible that refer to her in that context, a helpmeet, a helpmate, a helper. Eve was created in the context of providing aid and assistance and companionship to Adam. That was a role that God created for her. It's a God-ordained role. So what we do know then is that it's a natural role. It's a natural order. And so, ladies, I submit to you, according to God's word, that that's what God has mandated in the context of his creational order. doesn't mean that you're less. doesn't mean that you're unequal. It means that you have a different role, the role that God has ordained, and it's a wonderful role, not to be diminished. And unfortunately, many have diminished it in the context of mischaracterizing what it is and, and imposing upon people certain things that are not found within Scripture. And so the idea then, these two ideas that we find of submission and helpfulness are a wife's fundamental and uh, duty um, in the context of, of her relationship with her husband. These duties belong to her in her God-given role. There are certain things then that she will do as a helper in relationship with her husband. And these two duties are commanded by God for every wife and to refuse to give oneself to them is to rebel against God. Not merely against your husband, but against the God of your marriage. And so you need to keep that in mind as we look at these things, as we consider what it is that the Lord has, or, has ordained relative to the relationship between a husband and a wife. Well, what does this look like then? Well, we can take these duties... And I don't use the word duty to me in a demeaning way. Oftentimes that word is looked at with a, 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 a wrinkled brow. I don't want to hear about duty. I don't want to hear about things like that. Can we call it something else? We live in an age in which we have to change all the words uh, to make them more appealing and, and, and acceptable. Well, I don't know another word for it other than to call it what it is, and it's a duty. It's a delightful duty. It's one that arises out of a trans formed heart, one that's been saved and changed and is indwelled by the Holy Spirit and is motivated by the fruits of the Spirit. And so certainly they are good things. They are things to be honored, things to be understood. And so what does it look like? Well, these duties can be reduced to four kinds. And I would submit to you that according to Scripture that they are the duty of reverence, the duty of obedience, the duty of assistance, and the duty of modesty four things that we can look at, and we're going to take the time to unpackage those and to understand ultimately what Scripture says about them in terms of this idea of submission. So again, understanding the foundation that we have from Scripture, then we move back over to Colossians 3.18, knowing why Paul has done what he's doing in terms of this exhortation. And so knowing that then, knowing that Paul is acting consistently within the confines of Scripture, he's not made up something new or different just for the women in Colossae. This is for believing women through all the ages, redeemed female Christians, wives who are wives. So this is what we understand then what Paul would have a woman to do. And so the issue then of reverence, reverence. And this is important because I think we live in an age in which reverence is something that is being lost. We don't have a sense of reverence about much anymore. Um, I have to tell you a funny story in terms of reverence. So uh, I had a case one time, and I was preparing this guy for his testimony, and it was pretty critical. He was the main witness. In fact, the case was about him. Uh, his job was on the line, and it was a, bad, it was a big deal. 
So he comes to me one day and meets me in the office, and he's in full hunter orange. Okay? And he's looking pretty scruffy. And I said, well, I tell you what, when, you're in, when we're in court tomorrow, I want you to wear what you would typically wear to church or to a funeral. He showed up in full hunter orange. No reverence. <laughs> Lesson learned, so now I have to draw a picture or show them a picture of appropriate attire for a courtroom and for church and for funerals, nonetheless. But the idea of reverence has been lost upon us, and I think it's been lost, too, in the context of a marriage. It's oftentimes uh, something that people would look at with an, old, with a, with an eye that says, well, that's old, that's, that's something that was archaic, how, how on earth does that work? Well, let's talk about it. Well, reverence encompasses three principles. Three principles. Honor, love, and respect. So as a wife submits to her husband, in, 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 in demonstrating that, one manner to do that is to revere him, to have reverence for him, to understand who he is and what God has ordained him to do for her to understand his place in their relationship and to have a sense of reverence about the role that God has given to him. Not to look at him in the context in which the modern age castigates men, not to look at him like Oprah would a man, but to look at your husband in the manner in which God has ordained he is to perform his duties to you and his role to the Lord. So reverence is important. It includes the idea of honor and love and respect. Let's look at Titus in terms of some passages that we can um, look at, I think, that are helpful. Titus chapter 2. A great passage, practical, so very practical. Let's go back to verse 1. We have Titus being taught as a young pastor. So this is Paul's letter to Titus. Titus is a pastor. He, he is ministering in a church. And Paul's writing to him to help him understand better what a, young, what a pastor is to do. And so he's telling Titus, this is what you need to teach the women in your church and the men in your church and the children in your church and the employees in your church. Let's begin with verse 1 of chapter 2 for context. He says in verse 1, but as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. That's really important. Speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Let's keep that in mind while we think about what's going on in Kentucky. Uh, Verse 2, older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. Verse 3, older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands. Now pay attention to this particular segment of verses, verses 4 through 6. Now pay attention in the context of we're talking about what, what does reverence look like and how does, how does the idea of honor and love and, and, and respect work. So we see a beginning of the development of that idea here. So here we're having a teaching so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands. So older ladies in the church widows and married women alike, are to be encouraging the younger wives in their midst to do these things. So we're, we're teaching each other, uh, which is consistent with what Paul taught in Colossians 3, uh, uh, the 16 and 17. So that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. 
That, now, that's, that's significant. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute, ladies. So Paul, writing to a pastor, is teaching him how to teach the women and men in his church, all the congregants, basically. But in particular, these particular passages make reference to uh, this type of, of role that the woman fulfills. Encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands. So again, there's this picture of submission, the idea, the principle of submission, again, incorporated into Paul's exhortation to this young pastor. He wants to make certain that Titus would be teaching these things because they are part and parcel of what God has ordained in the natural order of things. And so, importantly, too, these things are to be taught, these very practical things, and some of them are fairly comprehensive in terms of what verse 5 identifies. To be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Ultimately, the point being there is that it doesn't matter what the world says. Doesn't matter if the world looks at you like you're nuts or crazy or how on earth can you live that way? No, the, ultimately, the, the objective is to live your life in a manner that reflects your submission to God, to what Christ has ordained. And in doing so, God will not be dishonored. The word of God will not be dishonored. It will prove you will demonstrate in your conduct, in your behavior, in the context of your submission to your husband, that the word of God is true and right and appropriate and honorable, not demeaning in any way. So this, this is critically important. We, I, we lose sight of this because the world has pushed us so hard down the rabbit hole of rebelling against what God has ordained. Eve herself would have violated these very principles in the context of what she was doing. She wasn't being sensible. She wasn't being subject to her husband. She was rebelling against God and in so doing against her husband as well. And we see the consequences of that. And as a matter of fact, what happened? The word of God was dishonored in terms of that event. And so, again, these verses are important. Look at, look at this passage. 1 Peter and again, what I'm, what I'm attempting to do is, is, to, is to give you the practical demonstration of what this looks like in terms of life. And so we understand then that there's four ideas that incorporate into the issue of submission, reverence, obedience, assistance, and modesty. Reverence incorporates into it the idea of honor and love and respect. Titus, Paul is commending Titus to tell the women to love their husbands. And that's just not a brazen, oh, I kind of like him. No, you love him. I mean, you really love him. He's your boyfriend. He's your lover. He's your friend. He you do stuff together. You like each other. And if you don't, then that's a problem that needs to be rectified within the context of what Scripture ordains. Adam and Eve weren't buddies in the context of just, oh, you're going to help me mow the lawn today. No, they were lovers. There was obviously something that Adam needed that God provided to him in his wife Eve. It wasn't so he could have someone to play chess with. He, she, was, she was his lover. She was that kind of intimate friend with him. 
And so when Paul begins to talk about the issue of love, it's not this kind of cold, calculated, I'm going to check it off the list, I loved him today. No, it's the idea of a companionship. Remember, the idea of being a helpmate, a helper, incorporates into it the idea of a picture of a loving relationship. If I have to paint a picture, I can. You can read the Song of Solomon. God has painted a picture for you. That's what it looks like. It's romantic. It's, it's, it's fun. It's loving. It ought to be fun. God didn't create something that was horrible, for Pete's sake. I hope more of you are making whoopie pies. <laughs> As we know, some have done. So we have this picture. So 1 Peter chapter 3 is important. Look at this. So Peter here. Now, now again, the context of this is just remarkable. You would think of all the things to write to people who are being severely persecuted. This is not one of them. Now, again, think about it. Peter is writing to the dispersed Christians. This is a general epistle written to Christians. These particular Christians have been uprooted from their homes in the Roman Empire, mainly in Rome, by the emperor as a means of persecution. They're separated from family and friends and jobs and everything else, property, and they're sent out to the very edges of the Roman Empire. I'm probably on the map. At that edge of the, of the map, it said, there be dragons. That's where they were going. And it was horrible. Horrible rulers, difficult employers, people they didn't know. Life was hard. Life was hard to begin with, even, if, even when you were living somewhere you knew. But this was difficult. But look at this. What Peter does is, is really important, and he's emphasizing again what God requires in terms of a marriage and a relationship. So he's speaking to the issue of living in the context of God's word here. Verse 1 of chapter 3, 1 Peter, in the same way, you wives be submissive, be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. Oh, wow. Verse 2, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. So the issue of reverence being incorporated by Peter here in the context of even a relationship that's strained with someone who is married to an unbeliever, apparently, here in some way. Verse 3, your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it doesn't become the primary thing that defines you. Verse 4, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. He goes on to talk to husbands as well about the wives. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman. And show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. To sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. For the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. 
He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Well, it's interesting to me that this whole thought process that Peter uses here drives us back into doing what is honorable to God. And in so doing, we end up having a right relationship with other people, and in particular, with regard to the relationship between the husband and the wife. But importantly, the idea of reverence is communicated here. We find this in verse 5. Peter uses an example. So he reaches back into the Old Testament to give these ladies to whom he is writing, these Christian women who are in a marriage, and he's giving them the example of Sarah and the older women of the, uh, the, 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 the examples from Scripture. Verse 5, for in this way in former times the holy women also. So there's a description of holiness. There's something that is attendant with this behavior and conduct that speaks to one's holiness. We're called to be holy people. Peter would in chapter 2 and in chapter 1 of the same epistle call people to be holy. Be holy for the Lord is holy. Christians are holy people. He writes to the people in Colossae. He starts off by calling them holy ones, saints. This is what he's talking about. And so in verse 5, for in this way in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God. So their behavior was tied to their relationship with God, just like uh, uh, Titus, or Paul would say to Titus in terms of honoring him and not dishonoring his word. Used to adorn themselves being submissive to their own husbands. So the idea of being adorned with an attitude of reverence and love and respect is attendant with the principles of submission that Paul is talking about in verse 18 of chapter 3 and is consistent with what God ordained in the garden as part of the natural order. So again, ladies, we're talking about what God's natural order is. That's why Peter's saying it. That's why Paul is telling Titus to say it. That's why Titus would preach those things in his church. And that's why we see it being taught to the ladies in Colossae as well. You see the theme, you see the pattern. We can have things that are external to us. It doesn't mean that you can't dress up and look nice and, 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 and care about those things. You ought to. You should. Um, but ultimately, the issue is one of the heart. Peter then draws the example of what Sarah did. Sarah obeyed Abraham. So in the context of this obedience, well, this reaches into that other aspect of submission. We talked about reverence, obedience, assistance, and modesty. We see this picture of obedience. And within the context of obedience, we see the principles of honor, love, and respect. So Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Now, now that doesn't, that's not a demeaning thing, but it's an description of, of honor, an description of respect. I'm not anticipating that you're all going to go home today and start calling your husbands Lord, although they, they may want that now. I don't know. Um, we can talk about that more later, but nonetheless, you guys can work that out. <laughs> He says here too, you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. Don't be intimidated. Don't be concerned about what others think and how the rest of the world treats these particular issues. Now, of course, we have um, in the book of Proverbs a, a significant contrast um, that I think we ought to look at in terms of what, what this looks like when it doesn't work. Um, Proverbs 27 
clearly what we have here then is a picture, as we consider this idea of submission in the context of how Scripture defines it, and we look at the issue of reverence, and we look at the issue of honor and love and respect, it speaks to the idea that there is a demeanor that is attendant with a redeemed woman's relationship with her husband. There is a manner in which she conducts herself that is pleasing and acceptable to him and to the Lord, ultimately. Of course, the contrast is drawn out for us by Solomon in Proverbs 27, 15, where he writes as follows, a constant dripping on a day of steady rain and a contentious woman are alike. <laughs> well, <laughs> and God's people said. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you laugh, but you laugh because you kind of know it, in a way. Sometimes this becomes the standard. Unfortunately, I have known growing up, being around people, that there were certain women that you just did not cross. I understood, and we had, you even see it within the church, dynamics that where this becomes almost the arbiter of what is normal in their relationship. That's not right. That's sin. And again, I want to challenge you in this because in some ways the world thinks that's clever and that's a good thing. It's not. It's not within the spirit of those women who have gone before that the Lord has ascribed the, the title of being holy to. They were not known for this. Now, they weren't perfect. They had bad days too. But overall, the course and the pattern of their life was not to be the Proverbs 27, 15 woman. We talk about the Proverbs 31 woman, but I thought it would be appropriate to go to the chapter a couple chapters ahead and find out about that woman before we get there. You don't want to be this. You don't want to be this. A constant dripping on a day of steady rain and a contentious woman are alike. Well, we know what that's like. Dripping water is annoying. It drives you crazy. It's unsettling. When we first moved into our house, um, the window or the, the roof outside of our, our window has a gutter on it by the bed, by the window by the bed. And above it is another roof that has a gutter on it, on a corner, and it leaked. And it leaked straight down and dripped right down into the gutter below. And man, it hit, and it made the biggest sound. Well, one night it was driving me crazy. I got up out of that bed. I went and got a towel, crawled through the window in a pouring rainstorm, and put a towel in the gutter so I didn't have to hear the dripping. <laughs> it was driving me nuts. I don't sleep well to begin with. I didn't need that. So ladies, the challenge is here for, for you and, and to be mindful of this thing. These things are written for your benefit and edification and you want to live your life in a manner that is pleasing to the Lord. I, I want to challenge you not to be that woman or that couple that is known to have this type of, of standard within your relationship, that people know you this way. That's not, that's not honoring God's word. The word of God is not honored in that. Don't, don't be that lady. Check yourself. Now, you've asked me to be practical. Now, I'm being practical. We all know what I'm talking about here. Now, the men are going to get it too on this issue. Men can be overbearing and, and overreaching, and they can be just jerks sometimes. 
And we'll talk about that. But for today, we're looking at these issues. And so in the context of understanding what God's word ordains, we see then that the picture of reverence carries with it the idea of honor, love, and respect. Look at what Paul would write in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5. Again, look at the theme. Now, it's interesting. You, you, Paul's, Paul's writing to churches. He's writing to believers. You, you would think that he would pick other topics. Peter's writing to persecuted Christians. He's telling them to hold on and, and, and for a little while longer, trust in the Lord. He's coming back. Second Peter chapter 3, he speaks to the idea of the, don't give up your hope in the return of Christ. He's, he's coming and, and rest in the confidence of his return. Yet he deals with these is, is, issues. Paul does the very same thing in Ephesians. Ephesians 5.22, wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. So again, you may say to me, well, pastor, I don't want to submit to my husband. I'll say, okay, then submit to the Lord. And in submitting to the Lord, if you're acting in obedience to him, you will then act in obedience to what the word says with regard to your relationship with your husband and that's where the submission will come in. Now, my preference is that you do it lovingly, not begrudgingly. No one likes it when people do things begrudgingly. You don't like it when your kids do it. You know what, you know what I mean. We'll go mow the ditch. I'll mow the, you know, he goes out there and he's whamming the mower all over the place and he doesn't want to be out there. Well, the same thing can be said of this. Again, the idea of tying it back into the Lord is so important. Paul says in 3.18, as is fitting in the Lord. Paul to Titus, don't dishonor God's word. Peter, 1 Peter, use the examples of the ladies who've gone before, the holy ladies of old. Do something that do it in the context of honoring God. And now again too, Paul to the women in Ephesus. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife. I, I didn't write that. God did. And I don't care if Oprah doesn't like it. God ordained this. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also is the head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body. It's interesting how Paul ties us back into the work and person of Jesus Christ. Always doing that. Verse 24, but as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in the things you want to be. Is that what it says? No, what? In everything. Now, listen, husbands, that's a big deal now because your wife gets to know and ought to know that you're a man of God and that your counsel and that your leadership can be trusted as being grounded in God's word. And that you're going to do what God requires and that she can rest easy in knowing that you will always do that. Because when Paul says, in everything, he means everything, not just some things. It means everything, even in the Greek. It's everything. And so, men, you have to pay attention to that. We'll speak more to that in time. Paul, of course, says in verse 25, husband, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And so we see here again this picture of reverence, incorporating the idea of honor and love and respect. 
This is the pattern. This is what it looks like in terms of everyday married life. And so we want to make certain that we're doing things in accordance with what God has ordained and directed. We're not to decry it. We're not to cast it in terms of a caricature, but we're to see it as God's perfect natural order for the home. Well, I'm going to leave it off there, and next week we'll pick up. I've got a few more things to say. I apologize, but I want to make certain that this topic is correctly covered um, and that we're having uh, a good sense, a clear sense of what this looks like because it lays then the foundation for what the men are going to be doing and how the men are to react and to care for and love their wives. And so we want to make certain, again, that correct foundations are, are, are provided. So if you've not done very well in this area, ladies, what you can know is this, is that you have a Savior, Jesus Christ, who is perfect in all respects, and you can go to him, and you can ask him for forgiveness, and you confess your sin to him, and he is faithful and just to forgive you. And if you do that, you will be forgiven, and it's forgotten. It's behind God in that picture of Scripture. And you move on, and you repent. So the picture of repentance is what? To walk away, to turn around, to move in the other direction. And I want to challenge you in that way. All of us need to examine our lives in terms of what we've been studying about this particular topic. All of us do. I think all of us have missed the mark with regard to understanding the principles that God laid for us in Genesis 1 through 3. We, we have moved way off of what God has ordered and ordained. And so all of us, men and women alike, and for the sake of our children too, we need to live this example out in front of them. Moms and dads, your, parent, your, your children should not know you in the context of those verses in Scripture that speak to the behavior of certain ladies and men in a disparaging way. You don't want your children to know you, moms and as wives, as being contentious with dad all the time, that you were always barking at them and fighting with them and arguing with them and pushing them and being contentious. And, and, and dad, you don't want your sons to see you mistreat your wives in a way that causes them to think that she's just property and chattel and that you don't care about her. You want your children and you want other people in the community because it's a testimony for you to interact with each other. If you guys go out to somewhere to eat and you're fighting with each other and you're arguing and bickering and bantering like I know some have done, not here necessarily, but you get the message, that's not a good testimony. Now, I know the world may think that's clever and cool, and that's just the way it is between men and women, but it ought not to be, especially amongst the redeemed of Christ. Remember, you're doing all of this as is fitting in the Lord. If you're going out and you're fighting with each other, and that's how people know you, and they don't even want to go with you because it's going to happen, there's a problem. There's a massive problem, and it's on both sides, usually. So, please, make certain that you're looking at your relationship with each other in the lens of Scripture, knowing full well that you'll glorify God in your behavior in the context of what He has ordained, not what you would like to do. And God is faithful to forgive. He can make right and anew. He is the joy of our salvation, of His salvation. And I trust that you will return to that idea and in so doing, remember what God has ordained for you in your marriage. And so I trust that the Lord will work in your hearts as he has in mine. I have been greatly convicted 
by my study in Genesis chapter 1. It was good as a pastor to be reminded of what God has required and does require with regard to his natural order of things. It's been very convicting for me to see what God has set forth, to be reminded of what God has ordained as that which is natural and good and proper and and of, of great benefit. We need to return to these foundational principles and in so doing glorify Christ and build his church as he requires. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you for the exhortation that we have from Scripture. Sometimes it's hard, Lord. We reread these passages and we say, no, I'm not going to do it. But Lord, soften our hearts. Help us to see these things and help us to know that in them there is a loving expression of your kindness and your grace and your mercy towards us. And help us to be mindful of the fact that these are means and ways in which we can be salt and light to other people, even with our children in our own homes, within our church, and within our community. Help the spirit of peace and reverence and honor and love permeate our marriages and our relationships with each other. Forgive us for not doing that. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless.